Good morning. morning. Welcome to Come and Reason Bible Class. Tim is in St. Lita, California, um, another excursion presenting. So I'm filling in. This week I um, had a personal testimony from one of my patients' families tell me that they were in total despair. And if, if it wasn't for some video that they ran into on YouTube, that of Tim's presentations, that they would have not been here. And so I um, want you guys to pray for that uh, ministry and for all the technical people and the technical things that work, because that is a big part of what we actually do here, is try to not only work for our benefit here, but also for those who are around. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming together the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for what you've given to us. Be with us as we talk about you. May we have your spirit. May your spirit guide us and give us insight. May he control our tongues and our hearts. Amen. So today is lesson number four, hopefully. Um, You know, it's always a a panic that um, I will have prepared the wrong lesson or whatever. And, um, you know, so I have prepared lesson four. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, the title is Divine Wisdom. And when I first saw the, ti- the thing, I thought, oh, great, wisdom. That's, you know, uh, it's not something I think I have. Um, and then I saw the title Divine Wisdom, and I thought, is there any other kind? The wisdom of serpents. Be as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. Okay. One of the definitions of wisdom is the fullness of knowledge and its application. Knowledge and practice can be good or not so good. Okay? You can have knowledge of evil and its practice of lies or distortion or whatever, etc. When Adam and Eve rebelled, did they receive knowledge of good and evil? Yes. Okay? They, they had the knowledge. Was it given to them? You mean without experience? Yeah, that, that was, that's my question. Is Who gave them their knowledge of good and evil? Their experience of deciding they needed to hide. I mean, I think it's an experiential thing. They felt the difference. Okay. First, before they knew the difference. So... Um, they received it as a result of what they did. It wasn't some magical God or Satan, either one, did not magically imbue their minds with something they didn't have. When they believed the lie, they became infected, so to speak. Okay. Okay. So they were transformed by their experience or by their choice. It wasn't something that, that someone cursed them and often we read um, verbiage in the Bible about curses and blessings and stuff, and I'm not certain that it's um, quite the um, the magical thing that happens. Okay. Um, one of the definitions of wisdom is the accumulated knowledge of the ages. Just because knowledge is accumulated does not mean it's good. There's three things I'd like to think about just briefly. One is time, knowledge and time. Just because there's something that is believed to be held for a long period of time does not mean it's true. 
You can think of many illustrations of that throughout the history of this world. Popularity. A belief's popularity. In this day and age, opinion polls are considered extremely important. I mean, they're, they're the standard by which people practice and do things, etc. But just because something's held to be true by a large number of people does not mean it's true or good. You know, I'm, you know, because of my job and as education and whatnot, I'm constantly emailed with updates on scientific knowledge in the medical field. And um, some, someone who thought they were helping me sent me an email this week. And um, it mentioned that almost all of the medical information portrayed on TV has no scientific basis. Who thought it did? Particularly Dr. Oz. I really like Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz, I, 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 did, I didn't read the whole thing. 50% of what he says is hogwash. Right. Really? You know, and, and that's someone who's supposed to be a purveyor of information that is, is knowledgeable or whatever. Um, sincerity. Just because a person is sincere does not mean that what they believe is correct or will lead to the correct outcome. Over the holidays, I had an opportunity to go on vacation. And um, we were celebrating a significant anniversary. And so we went on, on vacation. And I was in a rental car. And I was driving away from my um, hotel. And they had just resurfaced the streets. The There's a street that came in by the beach that had, um, it was a four-lane that had a center divided, you know, garden-like area in the middle of it, etc., with two, two lanes going either direction on either side. They had not painted any lines on it yet. And um, as I left my hotel, I was approached by someone who had mistakenly come in going the wrong direction on my two lanes. I happened to be on the left hand of my two lanes leaving, and he and I were heading bumper to bumper. And um, he never did catch on that he was in the wrong uh, place. The, the vehicle right in front of me swerved out of the way and, you know, waved his hand and everything else, etc. And fortunately, I saw that and I was able to get over. But um, he was totally on the wrong side of the road going the wrong direction. So, um, very sincere, okay? And it made me think that a person who is going on the wrong direction will not arrive on time, will not arrive at the right place, or with the right outcome. Or at all. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you put the wrong coordinates into your GPS, you may not arrive at the right place. Now, I have a little GPS. It's kind of old, but it has yearly map updates, etc. And... Um, you know, I know how to get to work, but I um, I still have my GPS on or whatever in case there's, you know, just for interest sake, I get bored going to work, whatever. And if there's a traffic accident, I can look and say, okay, is a street beside me? Does that have a, is it a through street or do I have to go to some other street or whatever? And um, Rossville Boulevard is listed as a through street, but I, I can assure you that from personal experience, there's a railroad that blocks that street, 
And it's not a through street, even though the GPS says that it is. So even an authority can be wrong and you may not do well. Yes. I think all of the things that you've listed so far very much apply to the big news story this week, too. A long-held belief system, very popular, um, you know, a radical form of, of a religion, but it's, it's very popular. It's been held for a long time. It's proposed by many people. It's, you know, but it's something that most of us would look at and say it's not based on knowledge and wisdom. The, the tragedy of this week with the, the um, terrorist killings of, um, of various entities, um, it, it, it makes you sad to think that their God would be in such a, a being that would find delight, satisfaction, or any goodness to come out of that. And it's, it's, um, it's heartbreaking, you know. And um, it's just, you, you just don't know where to start. As a surgeon, for a while I was not able to do surgery because of my hand injury, and I've now returned to surgery. And, and um, uh, Thursday morning, I guess it was, um, I had an emergency surgery to do, and the resident didn't show up, thankfully. Um, no, I did not say that out loud. Um, it's seldom that I get to do my own surgeries without some assistant. Let's put it that way, okay? And um, so because it ha- so happened that it was during the same time a conference was on, etc., no one showed up and I was able to do a surgery. But before I did the surgery, what did I have to do? I had to go into the room and mark with a pin, yes, on the correct extremity. I can assure you that sincerely operating on the wrong extremity will not result in a good outcome. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, I was thinking about wisdom in that relationship. And I was thinking that we maybe ought to talk about righteousness. So much of what we hear about the word righteousness has nothing to do with what my perception is, is what righteousness is. Righteousness is is doing the right thing. And um, it is right, why? Because it leads to the right outcome. That's how it was designed. That's how things are made. You can't make something right by declaring it to be so. You can only make a judgment based on what something is. And the quality of that judgment is based on who is making the judgment. Are they capable of making that judgment? Okay, Do they have the facts? Are they mentally competent to do that? Whatever, etc. And how accurate is the benchmark by which the measurement is being made. I, um, I personally do not believe that even God can make something so by declaring it so, unless that declaration implies action of creation. Say that again, please. 
I personally do not believe that even God can make something so by declaring it so unless that declaration implies action of creation. For instance, righteousness. God cannot declare something to be righteous unless it is righteous or unless he creates it to be righteous. My heart cannot be declared righteous when it is wicked. We have talked many times in this class about metaphors of um, candy-coated rotten apple or a robe over something that's, that's filthy or whatever. And I don't think God is in the business of telling lies and portraying something that is not true. So if he declares you righteous, you are either righteous or he is creating in you a righteous heart. Like David said, created me a, 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 a righteous heart and renew a right spirit within me. That was his appeal to create a righteousness. Okay, It wasn't because God declared something that wasn't so to be so. Okay, well, let's start with the lesson. Um, Sabbath, um, Sabbath afternoon's lesson. Um, I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs in case for those who do not have the, um, the, the quarterly, and it's, it's really boring to read from the front, but um, that's what I'm going to do anyway. At this stage in Proverbs, wisdom reappears, and it's clear from the text for this week that wisdom is truth, the truth as it exists in God, the source and foundation of all truth. This accent on the absolute character of truth contrasts with some contemporary thinking, especially in the West, in which truth is seen as relative, conjugate, cultural, with one person's truth being different from another, someone else's. But this concept is not biblical. My truth should be the same as yours. Simply because truth is universal, it does not belong to anyone in particular, but to all humanity, whether or not all humanity recognizes it. Interestingly enough, Pilate's famous question to Jesus, what is truth, came in response to Jesus' statement, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Truth, absolute truth, exists and it even speaks to us. What matters for us is whether or not we will listen to it, obey in what it is saying. I have a couple questions as a, as a result of that discussion. Did the Pharisees have truth? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did they have wisdom? For those who said yes, why did you say yes? And for those who said no, why did you say no? Russell. Uh, I say no because we often get fall in a pit of confusing knowledge and wisdom. What's the saying? Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that it doesn't go in a fruit salad. Um, or to use a different example, you know, I can I can read all about orthopedic surgery. I can watch orthopedic surgeons surgeries online. I can be knowledgeable about orthopedic surgery. However, you do not want me performing a surgery on you because I'm not wise in orthopedic surgery. Doctor Moses is one has wisdom with orthopedic surgery. Um, so the the Pharisees had knowledge. They had. The truth revealed to them by God himself, 
but they didn't have the wisdom to understand that when God himself came and, and taught them and tried to unteach some of their their errors, they didn't have the wisdom to understand it. Anyone else? I think they had wisdom, they just didn't apply it. It wasn't from the heart. God measures the heart, doesn't measure the mind. We can be full of all kinds of wisdom, but if we don't apply it in the proper manner, in the manner in which the Lord intended it to be used, it's of no value. It goes back to, I think, the original discussion about Adam and Eve. They had, they had knowledge based on experience. Once they had that knowledge, though, they were damaged as much by the knowledge as they were helped. Okay? So knowledge does not necessarily imply improvement at all times. How are we different than the Pharisees in our current day? Are we any different than the Pharisees Currently, I think you could argue that they did not have correct knowledge. It's kind of like we talk about looking through the lenses of our own preconceived ideas about this or that, about God. And I think you could make an argument that they really didn't have true knowledge to begin with. When Nicodemus came to Christ, Christ made a statement that says, Unless you be converted, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Now, I always read that as being, unless you are converted, you can't go to heaven. Okay? I mean, that's kind of in my concept was, you will never see it. You won't get there unless you are converted. And I think instead, it's a change of your mind. It's a peeling off of the scales of your vision, kind of like Paul had after his uh, Damascus Road experience, is he truly did not see until three days later. And we, are, we have, based on our heritage, our education, our experiences, everything, concepts that may be damning to us, but we do not have a clue that they are, as evidenced by what happened this week, by individuals who, by whatever choices they have made in life and by whatever surroundings and, and culture they have had, they have made some damning decisions and, and life choices, and it has resulted in an end product that is in opposite direction from what I think is healthy and, and truth. Is there such a thing as a little bit of knowledge? Does everything, do you have to, do you have to know it completely? In order to say you have knowledge? True. <clears throat> I don't think so. Okay, I teach residents, and um, there's a difference between a first-year resident and a fifth-year resident. But the first-year resident is doing very well in his realm. Okay? I've been doing interviews trying to select our next residents for this next year. That's a process. Um, but... Um, we're, we've interviewed 33 people for three slots, and um, we had 300 applicants, and we narrowed them down to 33, and we now interview those 33, and we get three out of it. Um, those are some bright people. You know, I think there was a consensus among those people who were in the selection committee that we couldn't pass what we were setting up 
to be the selection criteria for them coming in, you know. So, but um, the first-year person who is coming in is good at their level. It doesn't mean they have all knowledge. It doesn't mean they have all experience. I mean, that's the reason they're coming in. But they are doing well for where they are. And I think that's the same true in Christian life. When we turn to God, we have not significant experience in the right way. We often do not have the right knowledge. Um, as part of my interview questions, you know, when you, someone comes in, you have 15 minutes, okay? In 15 minutes, you've got to interview them, score your card, go to the next one. This person would come in, sit down, I'd introduce them, ask them who they were, you know, where they came from, all that sort of stuff. In the process of things, I asked them two orthopedic questions. What is the Coker criteria? And what is the um, a classification for scoliosis surgery? Now, that's something that I don't expect any, either, any of them to have. Now, two of the applicants actually knew one or two of those questions. The reason for asking those questions was not to figure out if they knew them or not, but what they did with stuff they don't know. I don't want someone coming into my operating room saying, I know how to do this, and then screwing up. Some kid is on the table, depending on a good outcome from me, and I can't have someone in there who's, who is willing to go ahead when they don't know what they're doing. And if they don't know what they do, they need to speak up and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay? And so it's to be ignorant is not a sin. Okay? I think it is a sin to portray yourself as knowledgeable when you have no knowledge or experience or whatever. Okay, um, for those of you who are crafty and are artsy and everything, I do not want to offend you. I have an artist here who's, etc. and I don't think I'll be talking about her. But anyway, I would like to talk about paint by numbers versus art. Okay? I have seen some of her art, and it wasn't paint by numbers. Um, both paint by numbers and art are visual representations of reality, right? From a distance, they may seem similar. What is the difference? The artist, for one. One to creation and the other. Creation, okay. Knowing what you're doing. Knowing what you're doing, okay? And be able to... I don't know. I'm not an artist. You know, I'm constantly on the drapes of our operating room drawing what I'm expecting them to do, etc. You know, it's, it's paper. Let's throw it away. You take a little marker and go, you know, I'm not an artist. And sometimes the, the residents point that out. Um, but um, there's a, a big difference between paint by number and art. Okay. You don't become an accomplished artist, I don't think, by painting by number. I don't know. Did you? <laughs> no, I did a little bit of paint by number as a child, but no. it's You're not thinking when you're painting by number. I guess you could analyze why the numbers are there and start to back into the knowledge. Wow, that's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, Wendell, I don't know where you would want to go with this, but when I taught art classes, I would teach them art is not in the hand, it's in the eye. Yeah, that sounds very good. That has okay. a lot of application. It does. Um, so, uh, you know, how do you see divine wisdom? Artistry or paint by numbers? Okay. When we hear statements about God filling us and living in his life out through us, what does that look like? I think we try to make it paint by number. Do this, say that, and you got it. And he wants a much deeper understanding than that from us. What she's saying is you're, you're, it has to be from your heart. Yeah. It has to be in your not in your hand. It has to be more developed. It's learning how to see things. Someone who has a great artist potential, they have the genetic or whatever it is that makes you good at art and me not. Um, when they start out in their art career, they may have a lot of potential, okay? And they may become a great artist, but they will not become a great artist without experience and application of their knowledge, okay? Christ Object Lessons, page 69. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. I don't think he's going to be looking for paint by numbers. Someone's distressed by that. Go, go ahead. Uh, and isn't that, I think, part of um, the difference between knowledge and wisdom? I mean, or, and going back to the example of the Pharisees, is, and, and today, there's a difference between knowing, have that, having that innate knowledge and then expressing it and growing in your experience versus just kind of going through the motions and getting your checklist of the rules and I'm meeting this one, I'm not doing that one. You know what I mean? I've painted all number fives. <laughs> I, I think the Pharisees and a lot of us today, we can be very good rule keepers, but we don't necessarily have that heart knowledge and that heart knowledge relationship that allows us to continue to grow and develop and 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 become more wise. Yes. To say that you were any less of an artist than you were painting by numbers isn't fair because she was a child and it was appropriate for her development as an artist. It was reasonable. Had she stayed there, that would have been a real crime for her to rob her, all of us, everybody, from her abilities if she had just stayed doing the paint by numbers. In the ER, the years I did ER, we all took CPR, which is paint by numbers for medicine, how to resuscitate immediately. Um, it was very convenient having a bunch of people who knew how to paint by numbers at that point because I knew I could count on a certain basic amount of knowledge. Had they limited me from stepping out of the paint by numbers, you know, or the, the, the protocols, it would have been a shame because there's, there is a greater found knowledge out there that I, I had that I would go outside of the um, protocol. But I think that spiritually, if we all painted by numbers, I think that God has something to work with. I mean, there's some, it, it's not wrong if it's not 
the limit or the end point if you're not satisfied with painting by numbers and don't explore more um, or allow the artist with a capital A or whatever to teach you beyond. If you say, no, 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 I'm going to stick with my paint by numbers. Whenever I am in, in the office, I often have children who are six, eight years of age who cannot walk. And um, the parents are striving in the hardest way to get those, pa- those kids to walk. And they would like for them to walk, but because of some damage or whatever, they are not able to do so. You know, it's not the kid's fault. It's not the parent's fault, etc. It's damage that has been done. And until recreation, they, that's not going to happen. But, in the same token, we consider that aberrant. That's not normal. And so if we, as Christians, are down the road many years and we're still painting by numbers, I think we have not looked with insight at our own self and used any wisdom or knowledge or whatever. Yes? I hated painting by numbers, even as a little (laughs) tiny kid. uh, Hated it. And it is more tedious, I think, than creating something of your own. So we can compare this as all the little rules that we have had all our life. We must do it this way. Somebody else said so. We must do it that way. We must. And it's not necessarily the right way to do it. Continuing on with the same um, Christ Object Lessons uh, uh, page. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. For years I read that statement and felt like I had to paint by numbers. Okay? Number one, I had to be an artist when I wasn't, or I had to do something that I wasn't. I had to say things that didn't make sense to me or didn't fit into how I worked, etc. And I think that we really need to be artists in our Christian walk using our knowledge as we are blessed, etc. Yes? I've been sitting here thinking about all of that that you're hitting on, which is, okay, as a child when I tried just... Check out paint by numbers, fun, see what they, they got boring very quickly. Um, then you have, when you're working with children and you say they're coloring and an adult say, no, stay within the lines. Don't color outside the lines. Uh, what are we saying? And in, in, in our Christian walk, we do that too, which is if you think differently than I do, that's unacceptable. It can't be right. It's not okay. I'm sorry, that tree is supposed to be green, but you colored it red. That's unacceptable. Beauty is in the eye, as you have said. All right. I'd like to move on just you know, a little bit. Um, we may get back to this, but you know, anyway. There's two quotes also that, that I would like to speak about, um, divine knowledge and whatnot, and, and um, I thought they were very apropos for this class. But at the same time, we should be careful how we receive everything termed new light. We must beware, lest, under cover of searching for new truth, 
Satan should divert our minds from Christ and the special truths for this time. I have been shown that it is the device of the enemy to lead minds to dwell upon some obscure or unimportant point, something is not fully revealed or is not essential to our salvation. This has made the absorbing theme the present truth when all their investigations and suppositions only serve to make matters more obscure than before and to confuse the minds of some who ought to be seeking for oneness through sanctification of the truth. We have to be careful about what we accept as truth, where we spend our time. Is it, is it truly appropriate for the level where we are? Is it truly appropriate for what we're doing? The second statement, um, in light of the, the name of this class, Come and Reason, is from DD38. I don't know where DD is, whatever. whatever. It is the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the scriptures what is truth and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow his example. We should day by day study the Bible diligently, weighing every thought and comparing scripture with scripture. With divine help, we are to form our opinions for ourselves as we are to answer for ourselves before God. The truths most plainly revealed in the Bible have been involved in doubt and darkness by learned men who, with a pretense of great wisdom, teach that the scriptures have a mystical, a secret, spiritual meaning not apparent in the language employed. These men are false teachers. It was the, such a class that Jesus declared, Ye na- You know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. Mark twelve twenty four. The language of the Bible should be explained according to its obvious meaning unless a symbol or figure is employed. Christ has given the promise, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. If men would take the Bible as it reads, if there were no false teachers to mislead and confuse their minds, a work would be accomplished that would make angels glad and would bring into the fold of Christ thousands upon thousands who are now wandering in air. The rational mind. Gospel should be reasonable. All right, um, let's go to Sunday's lesson. Um, in Sunday's lesson, it, it, we're uh, going Proverbs 8 and 9, and, and the first part of uh, Proverbs 8, it talks about w- wisdom is portrayed and, and it's worth more than silver and gold and whatnot, etc. Wisdom and folly in these, in these two chapters are portrayed almost with anthropomorphic you know, ways in which they're yelling and whatnot out. In the second paragraph of the Sunday's lesson, it says, However one understands these metaphors, what is clear is that wisdom is to be communicated, is to be heard by all who will listen. Can this be done? Can wisdom be communicated? It can be modeled. Okay. So if you live out what you know... Okay. Nature communicates the wisdom of God to those who understand it. It also, com- it also communicates an antagonistic principle as well. Okay. There's a statement, be still and know that I am God. Somehow, in our, our communing with, with God, we do, it is communicated. I'm not certain that, that I'm always able to perceive that divine wisdom. 
So that may be in the receptor um, tuning to the wrong channel. Everybody's different in the way. I mean, some people have to make every mistake themselves, so they have to learn through experience what wisdom is. Other people <laughs> decide they don't want to make every mistake known to mankind, and so they gain wisdom by watching others and seeing the outcomes and deciding ahead of time which is the wise course to take, so to speak. So wisdom is communicated by, by perception rather than necessarily experience. Well, probably from all ways. You know, your own experience, other people's experience. And sometimes it's just the manner in which you decide to evaluate life. You know, do you, do you evaluate it strictly by your own experience and what happens to you? Or do you broaden that and look around? Do you broaden it to heaven and look around? You know, people have different layers of the way they evaluate things that creates a wisdom. I was the youngest child of four. That helped. <laughs> Especially when you had a rambunctious older brother. Yeah. All right. Um, Paul's discussion with um, the Corinthians. In First Corinthians um, 1, he's writing to a church that is based in a hedonist capital of the world. And First um, Corinthians 1, 17 through 25. Christ did not send me to baptize. He sent me to tell the good news and to tell it without using the language of human wisdom in order to make sure that Christ's death on the cross is not robbed of its power. For the message about Christ's death on the cross is nonsense to those who are being lost. But for us who are being saved, it's God's power. The scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and set aside the understanding of the scholars. So then, where does that leave the wise or the scholars? or the skillful debaters of this world. God has shown that this world's wisdom is foolishness. For God, in his wisdom, made it impossible for people to know by know him by means of their own wisdom. Instead, by means of the so-called foolish message we preach, God decided to save those who believe. Jews want miracles for proof. Greeks look for wisdom. As for us, we proclaim the crucified Christ, a message that's offensive to the Jews and nonsense to the Gentiles. But for those who God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, this message is Christ, who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For what seems to be God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and what seems to be God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Many of my colleagues think that Christianity is foolishness. They have no perception of what I hold dear, and um, does not make sense to them. Can't see it. Well, for most of them, uh, what they've heard most of their lives, as, as Tim would describe it, it's, it's true that it doesn't make sense, and it's true that it's, it's not real wisdom. So we could spend the rest of the class just discussing the difference there. I mean, you have, you have five more days to go through, and... I mean, this, this class is all about understanding that what has been presented as Paul would describe the orthodox truth of the cross has not been properly you know, portrayed for the Christian who believes in healing as opposed to drawing in the lines according to the authorities who want you to do what, when, 
it's all, all about cultural promotion, social, social um, manipulation for most of these people. And I think we're past that, but by the same token, most of the people of the world are not. So how do we how do we reach them with with a with our version of what that truth that you just read about is actually saying? That's been a, a struggle in my mind this week. Okay, it's like how do you do this? You know, and um, I think one glimmer of hope was when that family came and talked to me about what they had seen on YouTube. It was just um, it was like. At least someone got it, you know. So, anyway. Um, Tuesday's lesson, flipping over to Tuesday's lesson, um, it's talking about rejoicing in creation, how wisdom was rejoiced with God at creation and whatnot, etc. And I, I don't know, I, I guess that's a great thing and, and whatnot and, and whatnot, but I, I, um, in the text of the day was Proverbs 8, 30 and 31, I was beside him like an architect. I was his daily source of joy, always happy in his presence and happy with the world and pleased with the human race. And I got to thinking, when in Scripture do we see God happy? Okay, creation. He said it was good. Okay. Seemed like he had enjoyment from it. Okay. He must have been, but it doesn't say that. Well, the, I mean, I'm assuming he was. We, we read about, you know, angels and rejoicing. Okay. It's Christ's baptism. Baptism. Christ's baptism. Christ's baptism. And the salvation of a soul. The salvation of a soul. Luke 15, 7 through 10. You know, there's a party in heaven when a soul repents. Now, you know, we're talking about anthropomorphic characteristics of wisdom. I have to do the same thing with God and say, if he's rejoicing, um, I realize it's not an Adventist thing to do, but I think he's dancing. <laughs> you know? Um, it talks about um, the sons of God shouting with joy at creation, uh, Job 38 and on. And, um, you know, when I hear about there's more joy in heaven, over a soul repents. I can't but help but see God dancing up there. Okay? With his angels. I mean, it is a party. When the prodigal son came home, they didn't have a dirge. The older son, what did he hear? He heard music and dancing at a celebration. And I think, you know, this whole thing about prodigal, what does prodigal mean? Ever looked up in the dictionary what prodigal meant? Unfortunately, this is not in my notes. Um, extravagant. Who was the extravagant one in the, in the story? The father. God is the prodigal. He's the extravagant one. He's dancing and celebrating when his son come home. Yes? One of the more misunderstood text about God being pleased is Isaiah 53.10 The Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering he will see his offspring he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand 
this this is often misunderstood that the Lord was that the Father was gleefully killing his son on the cross instead of being pleased that his character was finally irrevocably being revealed to mankind and the results that would come from that. Yeah. This this is another text where God is pleased, but way misunderstood. Interesting. What we think about God, about, you know, what he's pleased with. Wednesday's lesson, uh, second, third, and fourth paragraphs. Where is that? The Hebrew word tr translated as blessed means happy. In this passage, the word blessed is attached to two propositions. The first one describes an action. Blessed are those who keep my ways. The same language is used in Psalms 119.1 and 2. In regard to the law, blessed are the undefiled who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. The second one describes an attitude. Blessed is the man who listens to me. In both cases, the requirement implies a continuous effort. It's not enough to have discovered the right way. We have to keep it. It's not enough to hear the word of God. We have to watch daily and to follow what we know. As Jesus put it, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Luke 11.28 Question, why do you have to keep working at obtaining the wisdom of God? Well, it's never ending. I mean, there is no end to the wisdom of God. Why? Why do we have to keep doing that, though? In order to grow. Ah, it's kind of a natural thing, okay? Some days I'd like to coast. You know, do you ever have a coaster bike, you know? And um, it was so good when you finally made it up the top of the hill. Oh, man, to coast. I haven't seen much of life like that. <laughs> there are times, like I just got back from a vacation, whatever, and there were times when you relax a little bit. But it's not coasting. Okay? You still, life is built on a continuation. Um, one of my good friends in North Carolina was a physician. He practiced OBGYN for, I don't know, 25 years or something like that. And when he was an adult, mature, seasoned obstetrician, gynecologist, he went back to school. And he became an attorney. <laughs> He has since he has since served as being the medical director for the Medicaid program for the state of North Carolina. He's in, been the medical director for several hospitals and whatnot, etc. And um, one time he was at church, and we were saying goodbye to him, and um, we were having a dedicatory prayer for him leaving our congregation and going off to this additional education. And I was one of the individuals who had stepped forward to lay hands on him as he we had this prayer. And after the prayer, he looked up. He says, you're jealous, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and I was. Because um, I don't like final exams, but I do love learning. 
And I think one of the joys of my job is to learn along beside the residents, you know, and to have the joy of discovery, etc. And to think that we'll be able to do that for eternity. Talk about dancing. Malachi describes people at the resurrection is like calves coming out of the stall dancing. That is something to look forward to. You know, we, t- we talk about wisdom and we talk about this thing as this, if it's a heavy dirge or something that's being pressed in on us instead of exploration and experience of God who is the greatest thing there ever is, ever was, ever will be. And he gets us to be like him. That is incredibly great. At the bottom of this page, though, in Wednesday's lesson, it talks about happiness can be an elusive thing. The more we... Oop. uh, Touched the wrong page. The more we strive for it, the harder it seems for us to obtain. Why should faithfulness to God as opposed to the pursuit of happiness be our first priority? You know, and it goes on, it says, besides, which is more likely to produce happiness and why? Seeking it or seeking first the kingdom of God? And I got to thinking, the pursuit of happiness, where have I heard that? The United States Declaration of Independence says... When in the course of a human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve, blah, 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 blah. And the next paragraph is, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Is this wrong? Yes. Before we go any farther, I'm not an anarchist. Okay? I like the American country, the United States of America. I support it and get a little bit choked up when I see the flag and all that it represents. My father was in D-Day and all that and, and whatnot, and I'm very privileged to be, have that heritage. But... Um, is the pursuit of happiness what we're supposed to be after? Depends on your definition of happiness. Is there a system that works better than others for that pursuit? If so, why are so many people around us unhappy? Especially wealthy people. You know, um, I'm not much of a tabloid person. You know, you go through the checkout line and you see all these things, etc. And, and much of it is not about happiness. Now, much, most of it's not right, but anyway, you know. But but there is a lot of sadness, even in those who have made it. And why is that? Um, turn to First Timothy six six. It's that way because most of the people that are achieving happiness are achieving it through 
for selfish desires. Ah, they've used the wrong book. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, we really, when you're talking about those smut pages, we're even talking about, I'm going to call them, it's always the pursuit of their happiness. And they're not going to find it where they're looking for it. So, I don't know what your translation says for 1 Timothy 6.6. This is from God's Word translation. A godly life brings huge profits to people who are content with what they have. That is not what you hear from any advertisement on TV, radio, or personal media. The God of this world, the Babylon, the mixed-up cacophony of confusion of this world, is heading for satisfaction and pursuit of happiness, as you said, in the wrong direction. Well, look at Joe Olstein, the biggest church in the world. And that's what his is all about. Really. I mean, you know, you should have anything you want. God wants you to have everything that you want to have, whatever that is, riches, glory, whatever. It's God's desire that you have that. Is that true? Not, not in the way that he means it. It's true that God wants us to be happy. Yes. And he wants us to have everything that we want, but he wants our desire yes. to be to know him better, to be more like him. So if that's what we're pursuing, yes, that's what he wants us to have. Well, that's the design law. Design. Right. To pursue him, not to pursue things that substitute. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and that's what this class is all about, is that's, that's how it's made. That's how we are made. And when we pursue how we are designed, we run smoothly sometimes tiredly, you know, okay? This is, you know, as my, I'm opt to say at work, this is still work, you know? Um, we don't have, this is not heaven yet, okay? This is still work. When, yes. In Revelation, it's kind of interesting, you know, we think, we think what, is, what, is, uh, what happens at the end with the different pursuits that we've had? And in Revelation 18, it's talking about um, pay, uh, 18, starting with verse 6, give her back to her as she is given. Pay her back double for what she's done. This is uh, Babylon, come out of her, my people. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. You know, that's depressing. (laughs) (laughs) But we think it's horrible, like the violence, the this, the that, you know. And very often through the Bible, it's talking about people giving themselves glory and luxury as being the bad thing. Right. Sodom is compared to Sodom that way, too. Yes. I heard somebody else say once that God designed us all to be addicts. And, uh, be what? To be addicts? addicts? You know, that we're designed to seek after God, you know, as an addiction almost. And that if we're not filled with Christ, then, of course, you're going to be looking to fill that void with other things. You're going to be seeking the desires of your heart in order to fill that emptiness. I'd like to close um, with a couple, maybe we won't get through the, the thought question of it. But on Thursday's lesson, it, it, it then compares folly with wisdom. 
The end of the pair of this chapter is folly is calling out in the streets, wisdom is calling out in the streets. I won't go through and, and read the um, the three paragraphs or on that Thursday's lesson, but have you personally heard wisdom and folly calling out in the streets? You might not recognize it, but you have. Whose voice was louder? How can you tell who is calling? By the message they sent. What criteria are you using to make that judgment? Okay. Self-interest. Self-interest versus others. Okay. Can you trust your conscience to be accurate? No. If you can't, then how can you make a judgment? Because we wrestle out against flesh and blood against principalities and powers. There's, there's that force that's there that is continually challenging our mind. Why is folly incorrect or a poor choice? It always leads to death. It's a diversion from the circulation that we're supposed to experience. It's a diversion. It is not how we're made. It's not the way things are supposed to be. Going back to righteousness, the right thing to do, it doesn't obey the rules upon which life was constructed. It doesn't make sense when true discernment is used to judge it. And that's what judgment is all about, is discernment. Using truth as a discernment. Let's bow our heads. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. May we read it with understanding. Send your spirit to guide us. Be with those who, both online and at a later date, would come across our messages, that they may have discernment, they may have your spirit, that they may be able to be drawn to you. May we walk closer to you today. May we understand your joy when we come close to you. May we be united in heaven with you. Amen.